You're listening to the all-new Veterinary Podcast, The Vet Chat, with fellow vets and hosts, Matt Wells and Steve O'Ealy. Join us as we speak to a wide variety of industry professionals about hot topics and subjects affecting animal health in New Zealand. Thanks for listening. Right, so um, g'day and welcome everybody to another to another podcast. My guest today is the very esteemed Andrew Miller, as his um, uh, as his email address comes up as. I don't think I've ever heard you called Andrew, Andy, um, but um, I've heard you called Millsy yep, a few yeah, times. Yeah, no, my, but, uh, my mother calls me Andrew. That's true. My mother calls me Matthew too, so usually when I'm in trouble, so that's about the only time I get called that. But So Andy is um, going to talk, we're going to have a, just a general chat, probably mostly around AMR, antimicrobial resistance and the dairy industry. I guess for some context on why we're talking to Andy about this, I'm going to try and Gosh, I think if I introduced you properly, it'd probably take up just about the whole podcast. Um, so I'm going to try and condense it down into a wee bit, um, and hopefully I get most of this right. But um, um, uh, a bit of um, clinical dairy practice in both islands, a bit of time in the pharmaceutical industry, a role with, um, what do you call it, the Australian College as a pharmacology. I think you were an examiner at one stage, weren't you? Yeah, I was. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, for the for the pharmacology chapter, so some pretty good in-depth knowledge around pharmacology, um, with a particular interest in things like AMR. I suppose if you're into pharmacology, you do. Um, some time actually as a as a farm manager for a large corporate group, working working for a um, well, as it was at the time, probably Sinlay Farms, wasn't it? But it's I think it's on about its third or fourth marriage now. It's uh, mm-hmm. gone mm-hmm. through Parada Farms and the Land Farm Group, and and now currently actually working for Fonterra. So. So I guess the reason that uh, I guess in amongst all of that, you've kind of got this this level of knowledge that kind of starts from farm level through vet practitioner level through industry through the the science, the pharmacology through to the processor. So I guess you've probably got I don't think there's probably anybody with that kind of perspective across the whole industry. <laughs> Some might say I've had uh, trouble holding down a job, but. Uh... <laughs> It's um, it has it is interesting to see uh, things from from uh, various angles. I guess um, yeah, at one point was uh, very heavily um, into uh, well into drugs uh, into the <laughs> pharmaceutical uh, side of things. Um, but yeah, so uh, and yeah, had um, some have had some involvement with the uh, NZVA, what is now the the AMR committee um, and has various iterations but sort of sat on that group or vet or uh, previous iterations of that for well, probably 12 years or so so have have observed that um, from from various uh, perspectives uh, yeah as we've gone on so uh, yeah now my my the pharmacology part is not so much my day job it's more sort of uh, I would say recreational pharmacology I guess so <laughs> You've got to be careful with that. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually I realised I left something off your CV there, which was that you actually had a bit of time as a stand-up comic. Um, not to put any pressure on you, because um, I'm sure your jokes are probably going to be far superior to my dad jokes in amongst this anyway. But um, <laughs> yeah, well, so I thought a good place to start, um, if you're just looking at that sort of whole range of stuff. I mean, it's 
yeah, we could probably talk about all kinds of things, but maybe it's good to sort of start at farm level and just and just sort of think a bit about that whole when you were managing the farms or managing that group, I suppose, of um, at, at Sinlay Farms, which are pretty large. I mean, I don't know how many thousand cows you were you were dealing with there, but you kind of did quite a lot of. Uh, I suppose you're an early adopter of a, of a lot of the sort of AMR policies. Um, I suppose uh, anything that sort of came out of that, I mean, I guess you, you probably had to get a lot of people on board with it. Um, anything that was useful sort of experiences that you had and sort of trying to maybe stuff that might be, might be helpful for vets in terms of how you came, overcame some of the barriers with some of the farmers in there? Yeah, look, I think it was it was an interesting uh, process to go through. As you said, we had uh, roughly managing roughly fourteen thousand cows in, in in Canterbury at at that time. That period of time, I was, I was managing the, the livestock portfolio and uh, uh, a couple of in-house vets that we had working within the, the business. Um, and a big, I guess, focus of the business was really to be doing a lot of things right. So whether it's um, you know animal welfare, environment, um, uh, and how we looked after uh, people, but it, so the, the the fit of doing things right in terms of antimicrobial use was was a good one. So it fit quite nicely within the. Um, I guess the the culture and the the company strategy, um, but it's, it wasn't without its challenges to get get people on board to um, change how we think about things and and particularly you know when we made some some big strides um, in 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 antimicrobial use around um, dry cow therapy, so that was kind of challenging. The important part for us, or the the important part in terms of getting that in place, was just. Um, I guess, engagement with everyone in the process. So right from our, our CEO through to our management team down to, you know, um, farm managers and, and people on the ground and letting them have some some input and some feedback to, you know, what we had, um, had were proposing and and make sure that, that people understood um, what we were, what we we're trying to achieve and why we we're trying to achieve it. Did you get a lot of sort of, Kickback. I mean, was it was it sort of um, the reason I ask is I, I know we, we've just been doing some surveys. Um, um, we've done a, one in the lactating space and one in the dry cow space. And one of the things that really comes through is just how divided people are, especially farmers. You know, they kind of we asked them on a scale of zero to one hundred how positive they were about things like selective dry cow, and the two most common answers are zero and one hundred. You know, so so yeah, you probably I'm sure you you had some that were harder to convince than others. Were there sort of things that got some of those more resistant people across the line, or yeah, um, the, I, I guess two sort of levels. That first engagement in the process of dealing with uh, AMR or or um, being more prudent around the use of of antimicrobials was actually quite an easy sell to. Our farm teams, and I mean, I think in my work and in various capacities with di- with different farmers, that we're talking about AMR. That there's a fairly, it's a fairly easy conversation to say that you know to get agreement that's a, an important issue, and that you know perhaps easier than some vets. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's actually an interesting comment because I mean vets do have quite diverse opinions on some of this as well, which you know, we might come to in a moment. But yeah, but but as far as yeah, as far as the shift in terms of uh, the, the the easy and hard people, and so within our business, we sort of a you know sort of a, 
a smaller reflection of what happens in uh, countrywide or across the region as we had you know, a number of people that were early adopters, much more innovative or willing to, to, to give things a go. And then there were, were others within our business that were, you know, quite happy with um, or, or much more risk averse and um, happy with the results that, that they were getting. I mean, we were uh, already sitting with a, you know, we, we were sitting with a, a relatively low cell count at that stage, I think around um, 120,000 average across all of the farms. And so sort of people were quite uh, in, in some, you know, sort of at or under under that hundred thousand, and um, quite sort of hesitant to risk something that they were quite proud of. So the way we approached that was to, uh, I guess, divide and conquer. So so uh, work with the people that want to, you know, want want to ch- uh, change and are happy to to do something new, and then use that as a, a I guess, a test case, both in terms of a risk management, but also in terms of, um, you know, uh, outcomes. So we measured, um, you know, introduced uh, antimicrobial use as a, as, as a metric and, you know, compared farms and looked across the business. And we, we managed to shift things relatively, um, relatively quickly. I think, yeah. And, and the, the comment you make there um, about the, biggest fear actually being the risk of things like cell count going up um, I think that's actually uh, that's I find that really interesting because you're right you, you probably are just a small working example of the whole country um, with, with that many sort of um, farms uh, with that many that many cows I mean and and in the survey that the more recent survey that we've done that actually did come up as being one of the number one things that that you know, the, the biggest resistance to, uh, I keep using the term resistance, which has obviously got two connotations in this conversation, but um, the biggest sort of fear, I suppose, for farmers to, to doing things like selective dry cow and um, you know, reducing the amount of antibiotic that they're using is that their cell count might go up or that they might get more cases of mastitis. So more so than some of the other things that we might think are more likely, like some of the adverse events or the, uh, or the fact that it's more hassle to actually do that. Um, so yeah, it's interesting that you, so you, you actually managed to get guys that did a good job of it, did it well, had good results and use them to sort of get the, the more resistant people across the line. Is what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, yeah, like all of us, farmers tend to, um, respond better to um, oftentimes the peer-to-peer communications or examples uh, rather than someone from uh, outside um, because, you know, they, they appreciate the viewpoint of someone that, you know, has the same constraints and um, and deals with the same practicalities as, as, as them. So. Yeah. So your, your focus, I'm assuming, wasn't just on dry cow, um, there was probably the the sort of. I mean, and it, if you look at, um, and I guess I'm sort of focusing a bit on the mastitis space, and we can probably widen it well outside the mastitis space too. But but if you look at the things that we can do as as vets, as clinicians, um, I keep lumping myself in as a clinician when I talk to people and these things, which are it's probably it's probably over ten years now. But I still like to think of myself as kind of a clinician, but if you look at what we can do to have an impact on AMR, uh, it's about sort of the, the reducing 
or refining the antibiotics, isn't it? So reducing is kind of what we do in the dry cow space and refining is sort of what we do in the lactating cow and probably the injectable space um, um, as well. We'll probably reduce a bit in the injectable space as well, but um, yeah, sort of refining is kind of moving from the, the red down to the green antibiotics. Um, over time, so was there was there a part of that that kind of resonated more within your your group? Was there sort of more of a struggle with some parts of it than others? Um, yeah, I I think the um, the reducing was probably the the, the toughest uh, thing in terms of um, that dry cow. Um, I think the the second thing was restriction on 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 uh, critically important antimicrobials and so that was a pretty uh, that was in some cases a pretty tough shift particularly with um, you know some of the latter generation hevlosporins and with um, you know sort of macrolide use within the, the within the business just because there was set use patterns and and beliefs uh, in place. Uh, yeah, so so we adopted the traffic light system, and uh, you know, sort of uh, had a, a friend in, in public health that they were you know using that sort of uh, thing within the the Canterbury uh, District Health Board, and so we we kind of uh, adopted that, and that sort of much of the the um, antimicrobial stewardship plan that we had in place for Sinlay Farms or Purata Farms has kind of um, morphed or, or formed some of the basis of uh, the, the prudent use guidelines from NZVA. So that's, that right. was quite, <laughs> that was quite nice. So you're a real early adopter. Yeah. Leading the, leading the way. Yeah. Um, mm. And, but that was probably, that was probably some of the, the, the difficult part. So then the easier parts of it in terms of, you know, our uh, adoption were the, the win-win scenarios and, you know, although we we you know we were kind of early adopters of the the traffic light system and and quite a proponent of it, and still think it's quite important. Sometimes I think that kind of takes precedence in people's mind over what we really should be doing, and that's you know sort of working as as veterinarians, farmers, and custodians of of these animals to reduce the risk of disease. You know, improve you know, uh, nutrition and immune function, et cetera, have better husbandry and management things and utilise preventive strategies, vaccines, et cetera, to avoid the need for the antibiotics in the first place. So look at our total total antimicrobial use uh, altogether. And that's where we start getting the, the win-win because that's when we also can you know, start talking about, well, what does this mean for my bottom line? What does this mean for my P&L? So, you know, there's, there's some potential savings there in terms of your animal health costs and all that sort of thing as well. So. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose you, you've sort of got to be almost a little bit careful of the... Um if some of the strategies that you use to reduce the amount of antibiotic that you're using in some ways don't actually have a flow-on effect of increasing disease somewhere else, that that um, might mean that you use more antibiotics in another way. So you, there's there's some unintended consequences sometimes too, I suppose. So, um, but yeah, you're right. I agree with you that that just good husbandry that reduces the amount of antibiotics that we need to use is, is almost a forgotten part of the management of AMR. So in terms of, I suppose, so maybe just moving up a couple of levels in that whole sort of chain of things that you've, you've been involved with, I think one of the things that we learned, again, you know, coming back to that survey, was that, that on the whole, 
vets appear to perceive that the traffic light system has a bigger influence on AMR than reducing the amount of antibiotic used in dry cow, for example. Um, from a pharmacological point of view, have you got any sort of thoughts on that? Um, I mean, this is probably just a perception thing, so, so perhaps it's good to try and get a little bit of science behind it, if there is. Yeah, look, I think there's, again, there's two levels uh, to that. So from a, from a risk management perspective, you know, there is definitely, you know, value and importance in looking at critically important antimicrobials and, and trying to reduce the pressure on them as much as possible for veterinary use and for, for the flow-on impact to, to uh, human medicine. Um, but if you look at the, the, the rest of the drugs that we use, typically day-to-day -day on, a, on a dairy farm in New Zealand, all of them uh, fall into either you know, highly important or critically important categories if we look at the WHO um, categorization of, of antimicrobials. So from that perspective, pretty much all the antibiotics that we use have some impact or some potential impact on our ability to, um, to, to, to uh, manage uh, disease um, in the human population, as well as, you know, sort of uh, protecting them for, for, for use in animals. So the, the risk itself in terms of that transfer is, is an unknown and unlikely to be significant in, in, our, in our scenarios. But there's a couple of things. One is that, you know, if we think of veterinarians and farmers as key cogs or, or key players right in the centre of our One Health uh, triangle, so right in the centre of people, animals and the environment, um, we've got a really key role to play. And if we're not lifting our weight in terms of impact on, on antimicrobial use and, and risk of AMR, then it's pretty hard to expect other people in the triangle to, to do the same. So that's an important thing. The second thing is um, in that aspect is that, that in terms of our trading partners and in terms of customer view of, of our farming systems and our, and our produce, it's really important that we're making progress in terms of AMU particularly because it's pretty hard for us to you know say understand the risks that we're posing and therefore we can't really sort of fully understand the change in risk but what we can see is antimicrobial use and what we know is that over the last decade we haven't seen a significant shift in the high level weight of antimicrobials that we've used um, in, in New Zealand. And so there is some, we, we are at, at risk and, and we can't say hand on heart that all the antimicrobials that we use um, is used as prudently as possible. We're not using all the information that we have or could um, have in front of us to be able to, to, to manage these, these antimicrobials as well as we could. So therefore, we, where's the opportunity to, to, to shift that, to be using things, uh, using these tools smarter? And that applies to all classes of antimicrobial. Yeah, so that's, I mean, there's some interesting stuff in there that, you know, you, you kind of dived into um, talking about trade and, and political aspects there, which is, um, yeah, which is interesting. I mean, the, the decrease in antimicrobial use, um, arguably, 
and you know you can probably comment on this as well is as much political as it is scientific in some cases because we you know we can do a, um, I mean crikey if you shift from a from a macrolide to a penicillin to treat an animal you actually increase the kilograms of or the grams of um, antibiotic that you use so it's a it's a very crude measure in a lot of ways so we've sort of got to be careful um, how we're measuring some of these things and and um, probably perhaps using, and I guess part of the problem is um, kilograms of antibiotic is very easy to communicate through to, to politicians and media and those types of groups, whereas um, if we can get things, other measures such as um, uh, average daily doses and that type of thing into the common usage, I suppose maybe that helps. It helps understand what it means on farm, that's for sure, and I think it's a really good metric there. Uh, I think we've still got to be able to have some level of comparison on a global scale, and the, and the, the, the ADD uh, <laughs> has, has various different interpretations. So when we looked at the, the data from our Canterbury farms, um, if we uh, judged ADD uh, in the, the American um Sort of methodology, we would we reduce by fifty percent if we use the 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 uh, methodology from the Netherlands. We we reduce by only thirty percent. So there's, <laughs> there's there's a little bit of swings and roundabouts there. And yes, I agree with you. You know, there are some things by shifting classes of antibiotics we can potentially have you know paradoxical impacts. So shifting from cephalosporins to uh, penicillins, then you will for for drug you will increase the the grams of 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 drug that you that you use. Yeah, yeah. You go from what two hundred and fifty milligrams to to what eight hundred milligrams or so, don't you? So yeah. Yes. So so but where where we do have opportunities to shift our total use is is just understanding where um, antimicrobials you know, where we may have um, alternatives and, you know, a big area of use for, for us in, in New Zealand is the, the zinc acetracin goes into uh, poultry particularly. And pigs, there, there are uh, alternatives that we could potentially employ. And the dairy industry, there's, you know, as you said, mastitis is, is it's pretty much the, the biggest uh, and the, the first cab off, off, off the rank. Um, dry cow we've talked about, but they're also, um, I think, uh, quite a lot of pretty interesting and, and really useful tools in terms of on-farm cow side diagnostics that can, um, or, or better utilisation of, of uh, diagnostics within vet practice or, or, or labs that we can, we can utilise to, to, to uh you know, to make an impact on, on antimicrobial use. So, you know, we're only avoiding it where using better data to, so that we're, we're avoiding antimicrobial use where there's, where there's little benefit. Mm. Yeah, actually, that's a very good point about diagnostics. Yeah, and, and um, it does probably sometimes get lost in the whole thing that um, good diagnosis actually is a really important part of AMR, like choosing the right drug to use at the right time. Um, and the fact that we've actually got tools that we can do that in the dairy industry now probably can make a really big difference. Yeah, and I guess getting back to your your comment that it uh, it is political or, or um, it is related to to trade. That's absolutely correct, um, but it, it, that doesn't make it any less an important issue exactly. um, yeah. for us um, as as an industry. And I think a good deal of my work now in Fonterra is is. Uh, looking into or supporting 
research in the sustainability space and there's similar pressures for you know sort of where we are with greenhouse gases as as rids for for antimicrobials and that there's been <laughs> reports that we have you know like the, the lowest carbon footprint in the world is and 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 that's so that's sort of analogous to uh our, our position in a in a relative degree of comfort about having one of the lowest antimicrobial uses in the world if we look at our if we look at our, our, our um, livestock population and one of the things that's becoming more and more evident when we look either at um, you know environmental sustainability or animal health or welfare or antimicrobial use is it's not good enough to be best in the world anymore right you have You've to be getting to be. better I was going to say, you've got to be making progress, yeah. Like, train like you're number two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's, you're right. Um, and, and partly because that's what is being measured. Your absolute uh, level is often not measured. It's, it's the rate of change. And if we look at, say, the Dutch, for example, you know, they've halved antimicrobial use uh, twice over the last decade. Mm. Um, mm. You know, so the, there's, there's there's real pressure on 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 that that downward downward trend. So uh, I, I'm not really super uncomfortable where 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 we are in actual fact, but there is some. You know there is pressure on that perception, um, yeah, and and yeah. we've got we've got all the tools available to us, and we've made a lot of really good progress in terms of shifting towards, you know, realizing what 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 is is still um, a fairly uh, audacious and ambitious goal uh, of the NZBA to 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 not have this reliance on on antimicrobials for our um, yeah for, for for animals under our care. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, yeah, exactly. We are we are making progress. We've still got a long way to go, but we're we're making good progress, um, as yeah, as you say. So I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a bit of a curly one at you and change the subject a wee bit. Um, obviously, there's been you know speaking of. Uh, I was just looking for a good segue. I've got one now. Um, so 2020 <laughs> was the, the year of the, the goal for um, the reduction of antimicrobial use in dry cow, but obviously something else happened in 2020. And, you know, I just thought from a, from a slightly sort of left field perspective, is there anything that the whole um, advent of COVID and all of the stuff that's happening around COVID um, could impact in the whole AMR space. And, and I guess I, I'm kind of thinking uh, the enormous explosion in use of um, um, antibacterial compounds and hand washes and those types of things. Uh, maybe the, the pharmaceutical companies taking their eye off the ball of, of everything else other than developing COVID vaccines and treatments. Um, but yeah, any, any thoughts that you've got um, around what COVID might do to, to some of this? Yeah, I, I think that's um, the, yeah, so a couple of interesting points there. Um, there's likely to be an impact on on you know the microbiome if you you know put any sort of pressure on so so a real pro proliferation of of sanitizers may have that that effect and yes there's definitely um, only certain amount of funding that can go into development of, of new drugs and and medicines and preventatives etc there's probably some really interesting things going on uh, epidemiologically um, with 
that because of COVID, you know, travel is, is a lot more restricted. So the, the, the spread of disease, social distancing will make a big difference. Um, the the impact that we've that's been seen globally around uh, other diseases and and probably the most notable is that the incidence of influenza is um, has has been impacted by by COVID. So yeah, it's it, it, the time will tell, I guess, what that what what that will mean. As far as our antimicrobial use or, or our work with animals is concerned, it has had some other impacts, and that New Zealand's um, reputation um, and and perception has has improved um, through, I guess, uh, good luck, <laughs> and um, to some degree, and also and also good management. So the good luck. You know, also pertains uh, of of being an island nation. Also pertains to our, our our livestock industry, and then the the good management reflects well on New Zealand as a whole. And so so how we regulate and look after animals is, is important. But the other side of it is that it has has put a much more of a spotlight on that animal human interaction. Mm. So the incidents of you know thought to be a you know an animal to human transfer of of a, a disease organism also highlights that link um, in terms of our what's going on with our bugs and microbes and all the rest of that sort of thing so it, it highlights that um, importance of of what happens in animals is 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 uh, has an impact has the, you know the whole one health thing it has an impact on humans it has an impact on our environment so the, I think there's there's some really interesting things that come out of it, you know, from Fonterra's perspective and from uh, I guess New Zealand produce perspective, it's been largely positive because of those things I mentioned earlier. So. Mm-hmm. That's actually a good point. I hadn't really thought about that. That um, I'm not sure if that's exactly what you were meaning, but the the closer contact that's probably happened between humans and pets um, during lockdowns, and and there's pretty good evidence of the transfer of um, resistant bacteria between animals and particularly companion animals and humans, um, mostly actually from the humans to the animals rather than the other way around, um, especially in New Zealand. You know, we've got lots of, there's a study looking at, at resistant bacteria in dogs and found that they're pretty much all human origin, didn't it? Um, but yeah, it's actually a very good point that that, that whole sort of human-animal interactions got potentially got closer um, during this time too. Coming sort of back to some of the beginning and the and the talking about the the sort of the various things that us as vets and and farmers do in the in the whole sort of space of of um, AMR, probably thinking of of kind of takeaways from the whole thing. You know, what what is it that we can actually, if you had one thing to kind of put your money on um, in the AMR space. Do you do you think there's something that's more important than anything else that we do as vets, I guess, in this space? Yeah, I, I think probably the, the 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 key thing is when we're looking at, at prudent prudent use is is um you know it really comes down to in, in the dairy industry uh, is this necessary? Can I prove this is necessary? So so the the, the drug use per se um, is not in my uh, mind that the the real issue it's it's the fact that we uh, we're using data and evidence to make really smart uh, smart decisions and behind that sits a system that supports our animals 
to, to, to reduce the risk and exposure and also increase their innate ability to, um, to, to be able to fight off disease. So to reduce the amount of, yeah, the, the amount of risk. So essentially good, good vet medicine yeah. um, sits in behind that and then smart decisions based on data. Yeah. So, so yeah, I guess it's that sort of, um, every time you reach for an antibiotic thinking or prescribe an antibiotic thinking, is this necessary in this situation? Can I justify it? And more and more, we're going to be asked to prove that, mm. you know, that if we look at situation in Europe, for example, you know, the, the requirement for diagnostics prior to um, prescription or authorization for, for antimicrobials is varies from country to country, but typically significantly greater than what we experience here. Mm, mm. Uh, through, through, through trade, then there's, there's likely that there'd be pressures for us to have equivalent levels of, of confidence in the diagnostic and justification of uh, antimicrobial use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and I suppose um, I mean I think you actually did answer with two things, which was which was kind of. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think the the prevention stuff. I, I agree with you. I mean, I think we is there, and and maybe it is sort of wrapped up in the one thing that every time you use it, is it justified? And also, is there a way that I could avoid or reduce the chance that this happens again? You know, it's so so. What can I be doing to prevent this? Whether that be um, vaccines, um, better nutrition, better trace element nutrition, um, all of those types of things. Just just that constant sort of um, every time you're you're doing something, kind of reflecting is is there something I can do to make sure I use less of this? Um, would probably be how you almost pull all of that together, would we? Absolutely. Well, I think that's um, a nice little finish with a with a very sort of um, a good sort of message that we can kind of take out from it. To be honest, so. Um, a good chat. I've I've enjoyed it. Actually, I've got lots of interesting things out of it myself. So I hope that the, the listeners have um, kind of got something uh, quite useful from there too. So thank you very much, Andy, and um, we'll let you get back to to your to your day job. All right. Thanks, Matt. Thank you very much. Uh, been enjoyable. Yeah. No worries. Thanks for listening to the Vet Chat with Matt Wells and Steve O'Ealy. This show is proudly supported by Verbeck. If you want to find out more, go to nz.verbeck.com forward slash podcast.